Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DM on the stuff that matters. Hello there. Hello. I I big really sigh. we're Zoom again. Yes. <laughs> big sigh because we're back on Zoom. Yeah. But that is a okay. That is the way of the world for the last 18 months. Yes, yes, it is. It is the way of the world. We've also <laughs> just re- heard some very sad news this morning. So we, yeah, we might as well uh, start with that. Yeah. Should we? Yeah, yeah because I feel like get, we can't be way. super happy right get now because we're really sad because we have had to postpone the kick tour, yeah. but not just postpone it for a month. We have to, I suppose, it's kind of cancel and mm. reschedule for next year. We thought this would be the year where we could finally restart. I mean, we, I'm not like we've had a lot of kick tours. We've had one, but it was the best. <laughs> and we thought this would be the year where we could get back into it. We skipped last year, obviously, with COVID. But unfortunately, with the state of Australia right now, it was becoming... Highly we, unlikely. <laughs> highly unlikely to the point where it's probably... Ex- Unlike, uh, yeah. impossible, uh, yeah. probably is the word. So <laughs> yeah. we've we've made the really tough call. We did not make it lightly. We really tried to put it off as long as we mm. could, but we've made the really tough call today to postpone it till early next year. So don't worry, we will still be doing it early next year. That is very important to us. If you have purchased a ticket, you will be refunded. If you haven't been refunded yet, uh, please let us know. Your refund should be coming soon through very, very soon. Yeah, yeah, and we're really sorry (laughs) i know i know i know i know anyway anyway in more positive news do you have a special share i do um so i have been loving a lot of our new tasty tuesdays recipes and i just thought i would throw it kind of two in the mix because i'm i've actually combined them to make a dinner it's the chicken wings and the honey chicken wings and the fried rice and together they make quite a delicious comfort kind of food feeling dinner and it's amazing it's an amazing combo so they're two of our newest recipes um so try either or try both together highly recommend yeah there's some very delicious recipes coming i love tasty tuesdays that's probably the <laughs> highlight of my lockdown Each week. week yeah <laughs> oh my goodness i have to be honest i don't think i have a special share and i don't just want to make some shit thing up for you guys because i'm back watching Grey's anatomy which i've already recommended i'm only on season five so i've got about a hundred seasons to go. <laughs> I think we're all at that point where we're re-watching things like that. So you're watching Grey's. Josh and I have gone back and started watching Breaking Bad from the beginning. Oh my again. God, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah. So like Josh, it's one of Josh's all-time favorite shows. And I'd only watched parts of each season because it was when he was living at home. And I think it was towards the end of it when we first started dating. So I'd kind of just catch episodes as he was watching them when I came into his his house or his room or whatever um so I've liked it in the past but I've never actually sat down and watched the whole thing through so we finished Animal Kingdom or well we're up to date with Animal Kingdom so we thought we'd just jump into another you know drug and drama kind of series (laughs) and went for Breaking Bad you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna get that audio and just cut out you saying we just want to jump into drugs <laughs> oh my god no, no 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 um yeah I feel you I feel you that's a great show actually I've just thought of something and mm. it's not something that you guys can consume as in tv show or anything just something that's helped me this week Dalton and I have been walking once we finish work 
and each night, which helps to break up mm-hmm. the monotony of just sitting. Is that the word? Mm, I don't know. No, don't ask me it's not the word. The it's not the word. The <laughs> groundhog day would be a better word of just being at your desk and then getting up and then being in your house and going down and making dinner in just without any yeah. break. So we've been doing that after work, and. Last night, I looked at Dalton and he looked at me and he said, oh my God, we haven't midweek drank this week. And not by, as in usually we're like, oh, we shouldn't do it, we shouldn't do it. So we haven't, because I feel like when you're midweek, for me, midweek drinking is really not good for my mental health in general. Mm -hmm. But I think, actually, I know, exercise and breaking that up, because after you go for, we've been going for like 45 minutes to an hour, we actually talk, it's fantastic, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just watching TV together. And I think because we've just exercised, we don't really feel like wine after that. We just want to make dinner and like go to bed. So it's been, it's been really good doing that. Just one week of it, but it's been lovely. I feel like I'm finally in, well, I mean, it's not nice to be in COVID routine, but I'm in a routine as opposed to waiting to get out of it. Cause I think we know it'll be a little bit of time. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a good routine to be in. Thank you. Thank you so much. So now for today's D&M, mm-hmm. Steffi, would you like to read it? I sure can. All right. Thank you for sending this one in. I have an 11-month-old baby in Melbourne, so she was born into rings of steel and lockdowns. I had to move to Melbourne, and I feel like so, so many friends who I thought would be part of her life have just fallen off the face of the planet. I don't feel like I can talk to them about the struggles faced in relationships with them. They just say how lucky I am to not be working. I am. I know. How do I figure out how to navigate the effort I put in versus the complete lack of interest in my girl on their part? My heart hurts for people who call themselves auntie, but who have only met her once. This is a good question for you. I don't have a lot to offer here because I've not been in a position where I have a child and my friends don't want to catch up with me. Do you have (laughs) any friends that don't want to catch up with you? But no, this is, I feel like this is something speaking to people that I know that have had kids. I Mm. think this is something that a lot of people face. Yeah, for sure. And there's a few different things in this question, but I think when it comes to, yeah, maybe being surprised about how some of your friends are um, taking your new you know parenthood life and maybe not checking in on you as much as you thought they might or I think until you've had a kid you just don't understand (laughs) how all-consuming it is and how much you really need things outside of parenthood like your old friendships or work or whatever to just tap in every now and again to I think make you feel a little bit more like yourself. And I'm not saying that being a mum now has made me feel less myself. I feel great and I love being a mum, but it is definitely a new version of myself. And if I didn't have little snippets of my life before Harvey, like little bits of work or, you know, connecting with my friends and stuff like that, I feel like I would feel really lost and a bit sad and a bit disappointed for sure at home. And look, we have had friends of ours um, who... I suppose, have not reached out as much as we thought they might. Um, You know, before lockdown happened, we had a lot of friends who hadn't even met Harvey yet, um, who still haven't now because of lockdown. Um, And I think we were a little bit surprised by that. But I think what you've got to remember is everyone has so much going on 
in their lives. Like everyone's got their own form of busy, um, whether they're parents or not. Um, theirs might be work or, or anything else, really. They might be going through something in their own relationships or family. Um, and whilst it's obviously super important that no matter what you're going through, you're there for your friends, it's easy to, I think, get distracted with that, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, I think everyone's kind of feeling sorry for themselves. And, um, yeah, I think giving them a little bit of slack especially if they're people who haven't had kids and haven't been in your position is probably the first thing I would say. But I also know that it is a little bit disheartening or you feel like, I don't know, maybe this not forgetting about you, but (laughs) I I do understand that feeling, but um, yeah, try not to think about it too much. And I think particularly right now, it's really hard because you're in Melbourne. It's really hard to see people anyway like you can't (laughs) other than virtually so and I think everyone's getting a little over zoom to be honest like I I have a friendship group and we were in the chat the other day and one of them suggested um you know a zoom catch up with us all and and like a a games night and then someone instantly replied I have zoom fatigue (laughs) and we were like to be honest sometimes (laughs) we were like okay so we're not gonna do that um (laughs) But like that's, you know, some people are on Zoom and connecting with people all day virtually and all they want to do at the end of the day is be by themselves and do nothing. And um, unfortunately, that might mean that some of your friends are in such a slump that they're forgetting to check on you. Um, but try not to take it personally. And I think I think lockdown has a big, a big, like, it's bad timing. I'm sorry. It's a shitty timing to have a little kid. I, um, I'm in the same boat. A lot of my friends, you know, every now and again when they do check in on me they're like oh my god he's already so big or he's already doing this like they've missed you know this huge part of his development because they haven't been able to see him so it is a tough time um Mm. but just try and soak up that that time with just your bub um yeah (laughs) great advice Steffi I think I think that's such good advice and I think even for anyone if you don't have a child and this Mm. is not the case I feel like with lockdown at the moment, because especially Melbourne going in and out, I mm. have some friends that I'm like, okay, now we're out of lockdown, let's catch up. And they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm literally booked out every weekend for the next three months <laughs> yeah. because because you just have some, some people, like, I'm not like that, I'm not organised, but some people are so organised and they just, because we've had less weekends and less social time, it's filling up quicker. So I yeah. think don't put too much pressure on that because it's hard and it's it's very easy to, to you know, to feel left out and, and everything. But at the same time where everyone's trying to catch up on 200 days of not being able to see their friends. So, And I think also bad. like um, I, the comment that you made about them saying how lucky you are not to be working and stuff like that, um, you know, because it's it's hard I mean there's struggles in that too there's a lot of people and not and I'm not just talking about being postpartum and being at home and and not having anything else to do except parent um a lot of people struggle with that alone but then also a lot of people have lost their jobs in this time like they're not exactly finding it fun and entertaining Mm. not having work to focus on so if they're saying that to you when you're reaching out to them and if they're you know almost feeling sorry for themselves and trying to make you feel better just maybe talk to them about how you're actually feeling and maybe they'll understand that you know just because you're not working doesn't mean you're not struggling and that they shouldn't check on you and they shouldn't reach out to you um and yeah just open up a little bit about how you're feeling great advice Steffi thank you for sharing that with us and now for our clumsy story thank you we're getting a lot of clumsy stories so maybe <laughs> my my uh, segment that I really forced into this is becoming it's real. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is a good one too. It's a fitness related nice. clumsy story. So 
My mum very kindly bought me a heavy medicine ball for me to use during my at-home lockdown workouts. One of my favorite exercises we do during my gym classes are medicine ball slams and over-the-shoulder throws. I think we know where this is going. Oh my God. <laughs> One day I had so much energy in me, I decided to test it out. I picked up the medicine ball and slammed it down so hard on the ground. Little did I know the medicine ball was not designed for slams and bounced straight back into my face. So there's any for anyone listening that doesn't know what a medicine ball, ball is, there's two types. One bounces and one has like sand in it and it yeah. is designed to stay on the ground and yeah. you apply a very different force yes. <laughs> with both of them. It came flying into my face and bruised oh. and cut my lip and I started bleeding. I was so sore and couldn't continue with my workout. Called me dramatic, but I had a headache and a bruised mouth for a few days. Eight kilos flying into your face is oh, not my fun. Gosh. Now I have too much PTSD to use a medicine ball, so it has been sitting in its spot in my garage ever since. Note to self, do not bounce a ball back into your face. That is so funny because I literally just saw like one of those Facebook videos that went viral of a woman in a gym doing this exact thing. She like picked up the medicine ball, <laughs> like reached above her head and slammed it on the ground and it bounced straight back into her face. It's and, not funny. Sorry. Oh. It's really not funny because it's so painful, but thank you. <laughs> Sorry for laughing. I mean, like a soccer ball to the face is painful let yeah. alone an eight kilo medicine ball i yeah. am feeling for you that sucks and yes everyone listening at home if you're ever going to play with medicine ball slams please just lightly drop it first and see how much bounce is in that <laughs> <ball>. <laughs> oh. oh so thanks thanks for your clumsy story thank you for the dnm if you do have a question for us or a clumsy story you can send it into podcast at keepercleaner.com.au steph and i at we're at the inbox like we're not it's not like a letterbox where the mail comes but we check it and we love your story so thank you and your questions very much now for today's podcast which we are so excited about so today we are so lucky to have the incredible Bridget Husswaite joining us she is a presenter radio host and best-selling author of How to Endo a guide to surviving and thriving with endometriosis And the reason we wanted to do this episode is because endometriosis is something that is extremely common. It actually over 11% of women, non-binary and transgender community members suffer from endometriosis at some point throughout their life. So it is very real. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a really hard, it's a disease. It's a really scary disease and a lot of women and people are dealing with it. So we thought, why not get Bridget on to chat about her experience? Bridget, welcome to the Kick Pod. We're so excited to have you on, and so is our community. This is one of our most requested episodes ever, so we are so excited to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I feel the pressure a little bit, but this is going to be a good conversation, and I hope people get something out of it. So, there's, yeah, thanks for having me. There's no pressure. You're amazing, and you have so much. We've we've both read your book, and you've got so much to share. We highly recommend the book, by the way. We'll put the link to your book in the show notes. Thank you. To start off with, we thought we would ask a very simple question, and that is, what is endometriosis? It's yeah. simple, but like it's very it important. Very <laughs> yes, it's it's honestly the best question to start off the conversation because there's yeah, unfortunately, like a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding yeah. about as to what endometriosis actually entails. Even the definition, like when you Google endometriosis um, in Australia, the first definition that comes up in your Google search engine 
is incorrect and it's oh. so frustrating um but it's yeah definitely the best question to kick off with so I guess in a nutshell, endometriosis is this inflammatory chronic condition. It's a whole body disease. It's not something that's just constricted or limited to our reproductive organs. It's been found um, in every major organ of the body. Uh, up until last October, actually, we would say that endo has been found in every um, major organ except the spleen. But then another study came out and confirms that Nope, it's been found there. So it's quite widespread. Um, but yeah, this chronic inflammatory condition, it's where tissue that is similar to the lining of the uterus. So the lining of the uterus is what we call the endometrium. It's tissue similar to that. It's not actually the endometrium and it grows outside of the uterus. So what it does is causes a lot of pain. Um, it can kind of stick organs together. It can cause infertility for up to 50% um, of people with endo. And yeah, it's this invisible illness in the sense that you can't see it on the surface on the outside. You, wouldn't, you can't walk down the street and pick who has endo and who doesn't. Um, but unfortunately, it can wreak, wreak a lot of havoc inside. So I guess that's how we would sum it up in a, in a nutshell. It's, it's one of those conditions where you have more questions than answers. There's mm. no, you know, established cause. There's a couple of theories floating around, but they're quite dated. And a few of them also um, lean on this belief that was... Um, kind of more so in the 20s, but it was only tested on mice that it was the endometrium, but it, they found that endometriosis is tissue similar to. Um, but yeah, no known cause and no cure as yet. Yeah, and I mean, we got that many questions as well about, you know, symptoms and steps to diagnose endometriosis because uh, I feel like so many people are starting to look into it and hear about it a little bit more and think, oh my God, maybe this is what I've been struggling with my whole life. Would you be able to share a little bit of your story with your period with us um, and then maybe like lead into to how you kind of went down that diagnosis path as well? Yeah, my story and my journey is quite long. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's like 12 years, you know, that's how long it took if we base it on, you know, the first time that I went and saw a doctor about my period to the moment where I was diagnosed after having surgery. Um, I first got my period in year seven. It was the first week of high school. So it was a, a big week, <laughs> kind of, you know, really growing up. Um, and it was really exciting. Like I felt quite, you know, yeah. like I'd made it like, yeah, 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 this is, you know, this is growing up. Um, and the novelty, I guess, kind of quickly, you know, wore off. It was as my periods continued over the coming years, it just got heavier and heavier and more uncomfortable. And it was just really strange because I've got a twin sister, I've got an older sister and, and growing up, they didn't really have the same struggles that I did with my period. And my mum was always concerned and she'd always say, you know, You're, you have bad periods. Um, but then I'd be at school and I mean, we weren't talking about it. Like it just wasn't something that we, and I think to this date, you know, the topics of periods are still a bit of a taboo um, conversation, which is, it's, it's moving, you know, in the right direction, but I certainly back, back in my day, not that I'm that old, but like, <laughs> you know, back in, um, yeah, like the mid noughties when I was, you know, starting high school or whatever, um, we just weren't talking about it. And it wasn't, 
you know, endo wasn't even covered in our health curriculum. Mm. Like it's not something that we were taught about in school. It definitely wasn't something in the media. There weren't public figures talking about it. So I didn't even know it existed. I was just, you know, made to feel like, well, this is my period. Uh, maybe it's a bit more sucky than others, or maybe I just can't handle it as well as others. So you internalize that. And um, it wasn't until I was 15 that I went and saw a doctor for the first time. And it was just a really generic consultation, but I didn't know any better at the time. You know, I went in just being like, my period's really bad and heavy and uncomfortable. Uh, Is there anything that we should be looking for? Or like, what can I do to manage it? It was just a standard, you know, it's time to look at the pill. Here are your options. Let's give it a go. Naturally, you you know, you trust that advice. Um, And, you know, many of my friends were on the pill. So it just felt like that was the natural next step. But um, unfortunately for me, like my, my experience with the pill, it, it didn't really do anything. Like, yes, I could skip my period for a couple of months. So in terms of the, the heaviness and, and that kind of nature of it, that was convenient. But it didn't actually stop the pain that I was experiencing, you know, the real throbby cramping and just feeling sick. Like I just mm. felt really nauseous and it was just a really unpleasant um, thing and and unfortunately the pill didn't you know take that away so I I was on it for a few years and then I went off and I was just kind of it was really inconsistent for a while where you know every few years I would go back to the doctor and be like yeah look I don't think this is normal and then other things were happening to my body as well I I started uh, experiencing really intense abdominal pain and I had no idea where that was coming from but that was really bad and it would strike at any time. And then when I became sexually active when I was 18, sex, you know, I knew it would be painful the first couple of goes, but it just continued to be a really unpleasant thing. And then, I mean, there were other things too that I just, I never thought to put together at the time because you don't, I I didn't know endo existed, let alone all of these whole body symptoms. Like, pain when I would, um, you know, pass bowel mo- bo- movements or mm. when I needed to empty my bladder. Like I felt mm. like I was a little old lady experiencing these issues, you know, when I was in my teens and early twenties. So I, I saw numerous GPs throughout the course of, of this time. And I, I had some who were good and referred me to a gynecologist, but I was working, I was a travel agent and I was earning peanuts at that time. So it wasn't something that I could even afford to go and just have a consultation. Um, and then it wasn't until 2018, I moved to Sydney that year when I started my um, full-time job at Triple J, I had to move into state. And I guess working full-time on radio and every month with my period, it just got really hard to, it was really hard for me to kind of be chirpy and be hypey on air when I'm like literally, you know, hunching over with a heat bag in my lap and talking into the microphone. It was just so difficult for me to do. And yeah, it just got to that point where I um, went to see another GP. I should mention as well, before I moved to Sydney, there was one, you know, standout experience that I had with a doctor in my hometown of Ballarat. And um, I'd been, you know, referred to her by my friends. They were like, you know, she deals with women's health and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yes, all right, she's going to take me seriously. I might be able to get somewhere with, um, with what's going on. And 
um, one of my friends, Haley, uh, was having surgery for her endo and she was really the first person that I'd spoken to about it, but I still didn't know a lot about the condition. Um, so I went to this GP and yeah, told her everything that I was experiencing. And she just like flat out was like, you don't have endo, others have it worse than you. And it was really heartbreaking. Like it's, I will never forget that, that experience and that appointment. And um, just for someone, you know, to just choose not to believe you based on what you've mm. told them, like no referral for an ultrasound or further investigation, like a manual pelvic ex examination or anything. It was just, she just decided that what I was telling her wasn't enough to justify um, endometriosis. Um, so that was really disappointing. And yeah, it was the following year that I moved to Sydney and decided to find someone up there. And I found an amazing GP who, yeah, was just so empathetic and understanding. And she was shocked. She was just like, how long have you been dealing with this for? And I was like, mm, since I was 15, you know. Um, so she referred me to a gynecologist and then I, yeah, had surgery and they, they found stage four endo, which is, um, I, I don't want to say stage four is the most severe because the stages of endo mm. don't really factor in the severity of symptoms. It just kind of measures, I guess, how widespread it could be. And, you mm. know, it was like on my pelvic sidewalls, on my ovaries, my pouch of Douglas, on my bowel. I, my gynecologist was like, if we'd left it any longer, we would have had to take out part of your bowel. <laughs> it's just like not something that you want to hear when you're 27. No. <laughs> um, it was really confronting, um, but it was such a relief to have that. An answer. <laughs> yeah, to have that diagnosis. And mm. I was, I don't want to say I was excited, but I was pretty stoked to have answers you know yeah. to know that it wasn't actually in something <laughs> in my head yeah yeah I think that is the hardest thing with periods as well because first of all as you said we don't speak about them and then if you have a heavy period you're not really comparing it to anything because it's not like you're sitting there with a tablespoon like in your undies for your whole you know whatever <laughs> however long your period goes for and then comparing it to your friends so I think it's it, periods are so hard because we don't speak about it the pain that you just say oh I've got really bad period pain but then you know oh but so does my friend so it must be mm. fine and so it I can't imagine how hard that would have been for you for all of those years when another thing you spoke a lot about in, in your book was with your surgery that that you had it's extremely expensive. You also had mm. to go to the GP and then even going to a GP, if you're not going to a bulk billing one, that's still money. And then you have to go to a specialist and then, you know, the surgery I, I'm guessing is not free. Can, can you talk to that and a little bit about the surgery? How was your recovery? How long does it kind of fix? I know there's no cure, but how long does it maybe prevent symptoms for um, and what that was like? Yeah, the, the conversation surrounding surgery is really important. And, and what you pointed out, Laura, I guess, in terms of the cost and the accessibility, it's something that I've kind of only come to really understand um, throughout the last few years. So to kind of, I guess, explain this, the surgical procedure. So the, the most definitive way to detect and diagnose endo is surgery through a laparoscopy. So keyhole procedure where they put some incisions through your, um, <clears throat> through your abdomen and, um, you know, they inflate, they pump some gas in to kind of inflate your, your belly so they can see around the organs and stuff. Um, unfortunately, yeah, you, you can detect 
some endo through uh, an ultrasound, but it doesn't pick up all of it. So I had an ultrasound before my first surgery and it didn't pick up anything, but you know, it wasn't until they went in that they actually saw the the extent of, of the endo. It's really hard, like you mentioned, with um, even with bulk billing GPs, because it's so hard to bounce between GPs when not everyone has the same level of awareness and education about endo. Mm. So who you're going to get, it can be really inconsistent with yeah how you're treated. And the procedure... I need it's so hard to talk about without like overcomplicating it because there's just so much that goes into it um there's different ways to remove the endo so because there's no cure for endo the best thing that we have right now is this thing called excision surgery so that's removing the disease by physically cutting it out so there's an example in the book where I I kind of liken it to, um, you know, a bunch of weeds and you've got like a a shovel or whatever. And excision is when you kind of, you dig into the soil, you remove the weed from the root. And that's what excision does for endo. You remove the disease from the root. That's the gold standard. Unfortunately, not everyone has the training and the fellowships and the accreditation to do that surgery because it's really invasive because you know, endo can be quite, quite tiny and it's in delicate areas, delicate organs. It can cause damage. Like, you know, it was found on my bowel, like they could have very, if I didn't have a fully skilled specialist, they could have, you know, really damaged my bowel. Like there's a, a lot of high risk there. So in terms of excision surgery, it's not the most accessible option because it does take more training and a lot of standard gynecologists um, don't really have, I guess, the time to do that or they're, you know, because they might be delivering babies and, and dealing with other things, not just endo. Endometriosis is one of those things where we, we do need specialists that just work on endo. And I was lucky enough, you know, I'm in Melbourne now and my specialist here, all he does is endo and adenomyosis and just those two diseases. He doesn't like deliver babies and stuff like he's just 24 seven focused on the disease. And you need specialists like that because it is su- such a delicate thing. Um, the other procedure is this thing called ablation surgery. So if we go back to like the weed reference, it's kind of just burning um, the tips off. So from mm. the surface, you, you burn it off, but the root's still there. So it's likely to grow back and have a higher rate of recurrence. With my surgery, the first one that I had in Sydney, I went through the public health system. Um, you know, I was working full time But prior to that, I wasn't the most, I don't know, financially stable. I didn't have private health insurance. And I also didn't do any research going into it. So I just trusted what um, I was having was the right thing. Luckily, my gynecologist did perform excision surgery, but he actually supervised um, students who were training to become like excision surgeons. Um, and I was fine with that because I, I didn't really understand the, the seriousness of the disease or let alone how much there was found inside of me. Had I known that, um, beforehand, which is impossible, but had I known, I probably would have opted for, um, you know, the gynecologist to do it himself instead of, I know it's like, I know students need to learn. Like I was happy to be the guinea pig, but like (laughs) my endo was pretty severe. (laughs) And unfortunately it wasn't 
all entirely removed. And that's why I had to have a second surgery because there was leftover disease. Um, so last year I had the surgery, the second one, and everything was removed. It's tricky because it's 12 months post my second surgery now and I don't know if it has grown back I don't think it has because I'm not really dealing with a great deal of pain but you don't know until you go in again and you probably would have found if people um, were reaching out about their experiences I'm sure you would have heard about um, people having like multiple surgeries like Mm. five to Mm. ten like it's a really scary thing um for people to kind of fall into this surgical cycle because the more surgeries you have the more adhesions form Mm. adhesions can do just as much damage as endo itself and your body just comes into this pain cycle where you're almost constantly in pain Mm. um So that's, I guess, trying to just sum up my surgery there, having two. Um, In terms of the recovery as well, people totally underestimate it. Like Mm. we we treat endometriosis surgery as a minor procedure, as a day procedure. My first one was scheduled as a day procedure, but they kept me in overnight because of the extent of the disease and they just needed to monitor how I was going to, you know, wake up and whatnot. Um, my second surgery, I spent two nights in hospital. Uh, comparing the two, like I, the first one I had to take two weeks off work. The second one I had to take a whole month off. The first one I couldn't exercise without pain for five months, which mm-hmm. was such a long time. Um, yeah, it, this, the recovery is really invasive. It's mm. It really does a lot of damage to your body. And it's, yeah, I just wish we kind of talked about that more and we didn't treat it as just a simple day procedure because it hits people differently. And um, it's a a really difficult thing to bounce back from. Like, and, Mm. and that's the hard thing with surgery being the only answer at the moment for detecting the disease and removing it is just the invasive nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's I like I don't even know what else I can say about it. It's just exhausting the surgery. <laughs> but I think I think like just even by talking about it, you'd be like I applaud you for it because you'd be validating so many people's kind of emotions and feelings on their own journeys and knowing that they're not alone in what they're going through. And we actually got a question come through. You know, you spoke about how some people have gone through five to ten surgeries. So this community member. Um, said that hang on let me get to start the question to cut this bit (laughs) she said I don't have a question per se but I just wanted to reach out anyway I was diagnosed with endo when I was only 16 and as of two weeks ago I've now had five surgeries all relating to this condition I have just this week been diagnosed with Andymosis. Did I say that correctly? Andymosis. It's such a tricky word. <laughs> At, um, I only just recently learned how to pronounce it. Adenomyosis. Okay. Yep. That's yeah. definitely better. <laughs> Basically internal endometriosis. It is very overwhelming news to hear, but apparently according to my gyno, there is a 40% crossover between the conditions. My whole adulting life, I've had to deal with incredible pain, but more so the emotional pain that comes with it, which you, you spoke so well in, in your book to this point. Um, 
She said, many people have little or no idea about endo. Sometimes even though I know I shouldn't, I feel a lot of shame around having endo. People don't want to talk about it or know about it or think I'm being dramatic when I say I can't get out of bed for two to five days due to pain. It means so much that people like you are using your platform to spread awareness, educate and help others as it's only been in the recent few years I've seen it being widely spoken about. So I think really it's a big thank you message to you, but also just what would you say to, you know, women who are feeling like she is feeling shame around even talking about having endo? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with that message. <laughs> I mean, firstly, this this person, I mean, what they were diagnosed when they were 16. Firstly, I mean, that's fantastic to have a diagnosis at that age because it's really in our teenage years for most people where you do kind of start to see those symptoms, um, you know, and even if it's not a painful period, like many people with endo do have periods, like painful periods as as a key symptom, but it's not like the be all end all defining factor of this disease, which makes it even more complicated. But to get those answers so young, I think is really important because yeah, I feel like if I had known about endo in high school or if I did have public figures to look up to during that time, it wouldn't have taken me 12 years to get answers. And that's a long time for symptoms to worsen, for the disease to worsen to that point where the, my you know, gynecologist was like, if we'd left it any longer, we would have had to remove part of your bowel. So I'm really happy that this person got their diagnosis at 16 because uh, now they can kind of move forward and think of, you know, how they can navigate life with endo and adenomyosis, which we kind of call like the evil sibling of endo. Mm. So adeno in a nutshell, like what they said is basically internal endo. It's, it's within the uterus. It's within like the the walls of, of the uterus. And when, when we hear, you know, medical professionals talking about hysterectomies um, as a, a means of treating endo, which is incorrect because endo occurs outside of the uterus. Mm. So removing the uterus isn't going to remove the endo because it doesn't even happen in the uterus. But for adeno, that does happen within the uterus. So a hysterectomy is a cure for adeno, but it is a life-changing decision and it's not one that should be made lightly. And especially for someone who's so young and who's got, you know, um, an endo diagnosis at 16, I'm not sure how old they are now, but to just receive that adeno diagnosis, it's it's a lot to take on. And I mean... I would say to them that I'm like, I don't know them, but I'm proud of them because it it is a lot to not only harbor one chronic illness, but two, to have those answers and to take that on at such a young age and to, yeah, feel like you can't talk about it, um, feel like that you are being dramatic or that your friends don't understand. That's the devastating reality of not only chronic illness, but invisible illness when you can't actually see it on the outside, Mm. you know, you would look at me and think that I'm, you know, a a normal, typical looking 30 year old now. Um, You'd have no idea that I I deal with this pain on on the inside. And and the same goes for um, other people like this person who, who reached out. So I, I hope they find a way that they don't feel shame because there's, nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, endo is so common. It's one in nine Australians. Now, chronic illness is so common in Australia. It's like 11.4 million Australians have chronic illness. And that's why we do need to talk about it. It's why we need to normalise the conversations, create that dialogue, because 
I can guarantee everyone knows someone with a chronic illness, whether it's endo, adeno, fibro, uh, Crohn's disease. Um, these things are happening, you know, more more commonly than what we um, give credit for. So that message is, um, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate it, and it means it means a lot for me. I think um, that's I just when I started talking about my endo because I was on the radio, I, I felt obliged to do it because it was affecting my work, but I'm mm. so privileged that I have that platform where I can talk about it. Mm. And I think it's, yeah, I just think it's like, you know, my responsibility in a way to kind of talk <laughs> about it. Cause I know what it's like growing up and not having someone to look to, to have that frame of reference, to have mm-hmm. um, any idea as to what it is. So if it helps just, you know, one person um, feel less alone or, um, you know, helps them create conversation with their friends or it helps them get a diagnosis quicker than um, what I did. I mean that the worldwide average for a diagnosis for endo is seven to 12 years, which is mm, crazy. You know, ha- how much happens in your life in yeah. that period, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's devastating. But um, yeah, I, I think the main thing I'd say to that person is that I'm proud of them, even though I don't know them, but I know what it's like to kind of go through it and um, push through and they're so much stronger than, you know, what they think and what they give themselves credit for too. Absolutely. And I think um, platforms like yours, and I, I want to touch on your book. I know I messaged you about this the other day, but you know, one of my best mates has struggled with endo for years and years. And I've, you know, always tried to be there for her and, you know, validate her pain and everything, but I've never known enough about it to kind of truly understand to it, you know, as much as I possibly could without going through it myself, um, what she's gone through. And I can't tell you how good it was <laughs> to read through your book and actually understand it more and have a better understanding. I feel like now I can, I don't know, be there on another level for her and understand it to another level. So, you know, maybe even for this person, it is sharing the likes of your page or your book or, you know, educating them in that sort of way. Not that it's her job to educate her friends on what endo is, but I think from a friend's perspective of someone who hasn't gone through it, it did help me understand it a little bit better and obviously kind of, um, yeah, I suppose be there, be there and be more aware. Yeah, I mean, that that makes me so happy. And I think that's um, just as rewarding to, you know, not only help other people with endo feel less alone, but for their loved ones to feel like they're better equipped to understand and be there and just have a greater understanding, yeah, as to what endo entails. Because that's, I mean, that's the thing. It's so hard to talk about. Like, it was so hard for me to kind of get my head around the disease. And it was a real focus with, you know, putting the book together was, you know, I wanted it to be literally for everyone, not just those who are searching for a diagnosis or those who have already, you know, received their diagnosis, but for their loved ones, because there's no resources out there for you. And, it's I mean it can be so boring like learning about medical stuff when you're not your book makes it fun (laughs) no your your book makes it fun and I mean like I've gone through obviously like with pregnancy and stuff there's a whole lot of medical books out there and the ones that I enjoyed reading the most were in the same light as yours you know someone who's just experienced it and they've got they've got all the professionals for all of that information but then they experience they 
explain it in a way of like, you know, I've just gone through this and this is my story and it's so much more relatable and easier to read. So whilst obviously there is so much to learn in your book, it is very easy to swallow and that's all because (laughs) of your writing. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Like that's, yeah, exactly the the intent. And I mean, writing is terrifying. I think for me, because I'm more so a verbal communicator, you know, being a radio presenter, it was really important for me to kind of get my voice on paper as much as possible. And I wanted people to read it as if I was talking to them being like, Hey, let's get into some endo. How about it? Like, this is pretty cooked, but let's try figure it out together. You know? Um, but you just like, I feel like that's just the most effective way of doing it because mm. it, it is, you know, I've read it so many books on endo that come from medical professionals. And of course you, you want that, um, you know, that level of expertise, but it's not digestible. It's mm. not relatable. And you really need to find that balance of having, you know, that practical, informative approach, but make it feel a bit warm and a little friendly and just, (laughs) yeah, like, I don't want to say let's make endo fun, but like you need (laughs) to try and make it um, as as interesting and, and as engaging as possible. So, yeah, I think like without tooting my horn, I think the book is like a good resource for loved ones. And, you know, like you would have read the the chapter that's directly addressed, like it is addressed to you, Steph, like having, you know, a best mate with endo. Um, and I think when we talk about loved ones, like it's, it's a really important thing to acknowledge the, you know, the, the weight that it puts on you as well. I talk about in the book about compassion fatigue, which is very much a you know, a real legitimate valid thing. It's, it's a lot to support someone who has an illness that is chronic, you know, Mm. chronic by definition is constant. It's, it's not just a temporary, like, it's not just a phase mom. Like it's a, you know, (laughs) it's like a full, it's a lifelong thing until we, we have a cure and it can be really hard to, to understand and for you to also, you know, take on that emotional load too. So I think, when we talk about people with endo, you know, we need to have that awareness that like we are putting this, we're, we're not a burden, but we also have to have that awareness that we are putting this, um, this load of sorts onto our friends. And that's why that communication is so important. That empathy from both ends Mm -hmm. is really important. And, um, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, like just finding the right things to say, knowing that you're, you're there for each other and just, I guess at the end of the day, really understanding what endo is. You know, I've I've had friends who have, um, you know, they've been so they've had the best intentions uh, where they'll you know forward me links about a, a tens machine or, or yoga mm-hmm. or something, and I'm like, I appreciate where you're coming from. Um, but yeah, I've, I've spent years like of this stuff being sent to me every yeah. day, you know, like, you kind of just need them to just be like, Oh, I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry you're going through that or I validate your emotions and your feelings, but not actually give that kind of unsolicited advice. Yeah. Well, yeah. The unsolicited advice or being like, Oh, my friend's sister's mom's third cousin's <laughs> best friend's teacher. Um, she, she did this thing, um, and she's completely fine. It's like, Oh, oh I, I wish it was that easy. And, and that's, but that's the thing with endo too. Like it does affect people so differently. Like, yeah. you know, I've got, I've got some really good friends who can't even work because it's so debilitating. I'm, yeah. I'm so lucky I can work full time. I'm so lucky that I can now exercise without pain. It took a bit to get to that point, but mm. Um, it, it does, you know, really affect people differently. Uh, you know, friends on the other hand can have 
pain-free sex. And I'm like, damn you, like, why can't my endo, you know, just like, excuse me of that. But yeah, that's, that's the thing. It's just so different. But I think it's just, it's so amazing that um, loved ones will take the time to read it. And I think, you know, your friend, it'll mean the world to her that you've, you know, read this. You touched on sex before and the pain in sex that that you experienced. This was another question that came in so much yesterday. And I suppose there's a few parts to it. One being the effect on a long-term partner and in your relationship. And then the second part, I suppose, sex kind of, if it's a one night stand or just sex in general and the pain and, and how you navigate that. Are you, are you able to talk to that for us? Yeah, man, sexy time's so interesting in relationships yeah. <laughs> too. Um, for me, like uh, personally, I'm, I'm going through this really interesting um, part of my life, I guess. So, you know, th- when I was writing this book, I was in a, a long-term relationship. I, I was in a five-year relationship. Um, it ended six days before the book came out. So it was pretty, oh, wow. <laughs> pretty full-on times. Um, but I, yeah, I've now had, I guess, the experience of, um, you know, dealing with endo and having a partner there who, who was really supportive. Uh, he was, he was really good and, um, he was there to, you know, heat my heat bag at 2am in the morning or take me to the emergency room when I had a, a cyst burst unexpectedly, um, and was there for my surgery recovery. So, I've, I've definitely experienced the good, um, you know, the good things of having a partner who will be there to support you with your chronic illness. Um, and now I'm going through, you know, this journey of, of navigating it as a single person. And it's, it's really interesting. I think, um, I mean, lockdown doesn't help. Like I think <laughs> just navigating single life in a lockdown in a pandemic is bizarre. Um, but with a chronic illness, it's, I think it's just really interesting, yeah, the dynamic and just the importance of conversation and communication, I think. Um, Whether you are, you know, having frequent sex or it's casual and um, with, you know, different people. What it comes down to, I think, is, yeah, your communication and also your idea of what sex is and what sex means to you. Because, again, that's different for so many people and, you know it's so easy to just think of um penetration as like the be all end all but it's it's not the only way to experience sex Chantal Otten who uh, you guys have yeah, had she's awesome stuff with like you've done stuff with her before I think mm. um yeah she's fantastic she's and she's really great with young people you know yeah. and just like normalizing these conversations through social media and just yeah, kind of taking it to a whole new level. And I'm really excited for her book. book she, yeah. Yeah, we both got our um, our book deals at the same time. And yeah, it was really great to have her involved um, in mind to share some tips. And yeah, we kind of talk about just, yeah, redefining what sex means to you and just, I, I don't know, I guess like maybe not feeling don't feel broken if it like doesn't work out the first time or if it does continue to, um, you know, present its challenges. The The thing with endometriosis, um, we talk a lot about having a multidisciplinary team. So it goes beyond surgery. You know, you want to you want to have your specialist, but like things like pelvic physio, seeing a dietitian if you feel like your diet is triggering inflammation and a sexologist and a psychologist, you know, um, sex is a really important 
you know, health issue. Like it's it's the ultimate form of connection and it's something that we shouldn't just brush off and it's something, you know, if it is really affecting your sex life, you deserve to figure out ways how it can, you know, how you can improve that. And, um, yeah, through the book we kind of just talk through those you know, some practical tips, um, I guess a little saucy, like talking about <laughs> some things, but it's just kind of normalizing it and making people feel comfortable that they can, yeah, have those conversations, whether it's with a long-term partner or with a casual partner. It's just talking out what, you know, what's important to you, what might work, might what may not work, and just treating it as a, a team effort, but also in saying that, like, you can have sex by yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, embrace that solo power, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, There's no one-sized-fits-all approach. There's no one singular answer, much like Mm -hmm. with um, dealing with endo. And I think Mm -hmm. that's just the main thing to kind of take away from that. So, yeah, don't, um, you know, don't deprive yourself and don't punish yourself if you feel like um, it's not working out. Don't don't blame yourself for that. Absolutely. And... um the community came in a lot as well with not just speaking to you know relationships with others but also the relationship with themselves and with their body and I suppose you know as that community member touched on earlier it's not just like a physical kind of journey that you go through it's quite an emotional one and I suppose do you have any advice for anyone that might be going through endo and currently having a bit of a poor relationship with with themselves or with their body? Yeah, I think it's really important to acknowledge it and and spend time on it. Um, it's something that you really owe to yourself, and it's something that we don't talk about enough. Is the the mental and emotional toll that chronic illness has? I mean, you know, we're talking about how long it takes to even just get a bloody diagnosis in the first place—seven to twelve years. That's that's a lot of time for you to not only experience pain, but for you to experience rejection in the sense of doctors dismissing your pain, not validating it, making you feel like it's all in your head, um, you know, and even within your relationships, having difficulty communicating it and finding this level of understanding from people who may not be going through the same thing. It can have a devastating you know, effect on your mental health. And, and that's why, you know, in the book, I talk about, yes, yeah, psychology and the importance of seeking that help, whether it is just a regular psychologist or a pain psychologist, having that mental health support is crucial to managing this condition. Mm. Um, and it, it really can, yeah, affect the relationship with yourself. You know, I mentioned before, like that feeling of you being broken and it's something wrong with you and it's something that you just have to deal with yourself it's it's not healthy and I I think we're getting better with talking about it I think especially you know our national organizations there's one of them called Quendo which is based in Queensland but it's a nationwide um, non-for-profit organization for endo and they're I, I think they've done really well in building this community where they have Um, you know, catch-ups in groups in each capital city in some regional areas. They've got a 24-hour hotline that you can call or your loved ones can call if you're really struggling um, with your endo, with your your chronic illness journey. It's really important to kind of utilise those resources and know that they're there and just know that you deserve to take care of, you know, that part of the illness. We, We really, yeah, kind of 
separate it too much. Like we focus so much on the physical pain um, and and whatnot, but the the mental toll is it's so serious, and mm-hmm. it, it can lead to you know a lot of anxiety and depression and medical trauma. You know, there's a lot of medical gaslighting. It's there's there's a lot of problems with it. Um, but I think it's it's really important if anyone feels like that they're they're struggling in that regard to take the time out and work on it and invest that time into yourself because I mean it's the least you can do for yourself and it really will help the overall management of of endo like don't don't underestimate the 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 mental health effects of of chronic illness absolutely I think um I think your message of not being afraid to actually take that serious and go speak to someone about it um probably answers the next question but it was really just if you have a a personal thing to touch on and whether or not you've gone through it yourself with the anxiety around um you know knowing that endo is kind of a lifelong condition not kind of (laughs) um and you know this person wrote that they were feeling really lost and hopeless because they just feel like there's going to be no end um is this just something that that you would say to them yeah, it's something that I can relate to so hard. I mean, my periods just finished up and I was really upset over the weekend. I, it's usually, so my pain, the biggest pain, the biggest side effect of my endo at this stage is is my period. Mm-hmm. Um, those first two days are, are really hard and not only physically, but, but mentally, because it is that reminder that it's just an ongoing thing. And I think for me as well, having turned 30 this year and kind of, you know, we've reached this age and it's it's something that I'm um, kind of exploring and I'm documenting and I'm going to end up, you know, doing like a podcast on it next year about this. Like you guys would understand like this this pressure, this conditioning that women have when you turn 30, that it's a mm-hmm. deadline and you have to get like all your shit together by this age. And that's something that I've really struggled with, um, not only just in a general life sense, but throw in a chronic condition and, Mm. you know, concerns about fertility or how Mm. it will continue to affect my relationships or my next relationship whenever, or if that happens or my career or whatever. It's, it, it, it can be really, yeah, overwhelming to, when you do take that moment to sit back and be like, oh, this is actually, you know, this is kind of sticking around for the for the long run. And it's daunting and it's terrifying to think of that. And it's, it's just really tricky because you can't predetermine things. And I know it's easier said than done, but I think that's just something we need to constantly remind ourselves is that we just have to focus on the now and treating ourselves, you know, in the best way possible now. I mean, in a pandemic, it's so hard to plan ahead as is. Mm-hmm. Um, so why why bother, you know, wasting that precious energy of yours, um, worrying about what the future may hold and, and feeling, you know, lost as, you know, as much as I can relate to it. It's just, I guess, knowing that you're not alone and reaching out to people. Social media has been so amazing with Endo, like the online communities on Instagram. There's so many accounts. Like I've, I've made lifelong friends from just launching an Instagram account about Endo. And I, you know, in March earlier in the year, um, Quendo, the, the organization I mentioned before, they had a, a long lunch and it was like a, a fundraiser, but I, I flew up and I, I got to meet like these friends that I talk to every day online. I got to meet them and um, it was probably the highlight of my year to go up and have this community and put these faces to these, 
you know, um, accounts that I've been talking to every day and they just get it. And the, the community is out there for you um, and they're ready to like support you and give you advice, whether it's through Facebook groups or these Instagram accounts. Um, I think that's the real beauty of it. We often say like endo is, um, you know, it's the worst club, but it's like full of the best people. And it sounds a little oh. cringe, but <laughs> it's it's really true. You know, like it's been... Um, a game changer for me, like, you know, forming these incredible relationships with um, some amazing people who, yeah, are going through the same thing, but they're like really good people and um, will have that connection. I mean, for as long as we have endo, so basically for life. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love that so much. I think in in a lot of circumstances in life where you feel hopeless and you feel really anxious, one thing that can always help you is the community and the power of community mm. and knowing that you're not alone. So that that's so beautiful. And, and to finish off, there's one to- kind of topic that we haven't covered that we really want to make sure that we do because it obviously, I, I think you said at the start, 50% of people who have endo, their fertility is is affected. So we really wanted to touch on on f- fertility and endometriosis. And we had a community question that, that I wanted to ask you. I had surgery yesterday to remove endometriosis. My question would be, how do you deal with being an age where you can have children, but you are unsure if you'll be able to and what to say to people and how to mentally deal with having the illness with career aspects? So it's a little bit of a, a double double question in there, but I think especially with, with fertility, um, it's such a big one and I just it's, it would be so hard. Yeah, it is. And again, something that I kind of relate to particularly at this moment of my life Mm -hmm. um, with being 30 now and coming out of, you know, I mean, for me, like my plan was like fully, like I thought I was going to be on maternity leave at the end of next year. I mean, look, it could still happen, but like, (laughs) you know, not with who I thought it would be with, like if that makes sense. Um, But yeah, fertility is, it's a really it's a delicate conversation it's and it can be really sensitive for some people I think um that's important to acknowledge I mean for me I don't really I'm not affected when I see people you know talking about their fertility or if I see people who are having babies and stuff I'm like hell yeah like it doesn't like luckily for me it doesn't trigger me but I can see how it can trigger like other people Mm. um but it's an important conversation because yeah like up to 50 percent of people with endo do face fertility issues And it's just one of those things, though, like you don't really know if it's going to affect you until you try. Mm. I think what's probably more terrifying is just having that heads up. You know, my friend Hayley, um, who was the first person I kind of spoke to about endo when we were working in retail together, she was told by her doctor when she was like 22 that she needs to have kids then and there. And I think Mm. that's a really unhealthy problematic thing to for doctors to advise people with endo not only because pregnancy doesn't even cure it like Mm. for some people it may um, relieve some symptoms and that's fantastic but it's not factually correct or responsible to say you should consider having kids now like you should you know get that ball rolling because people are at different stages of life, you know? And and especially when you do talk about career, like some people, you know, might want to focus on that professional aspect for a little bit longer and that's totally fine. It's, it's just like this awful pressure to have this balance and to have it all under control all of a sudden. And it's, yeah, it's unrealistic, but it's also, yeah, just really, really triggering. I think 
Um, it's, it's easier said than done. Try not to stress too much because I think the stress can also really affect your <laughs> fertility as well. Um, if you can try and have like, I don't know, like maybe have a loose plan in, in place. But again, it's so hard to predetermine these things. And we really got to just like be be a little easy on ourselves with it. Like give ourselves a break here. Whatever will happen will happen. But it, it doesn't hurt to kind of explore your options, whether that's, you know, egg freezing, IVF, just having a bit of education about it, just so you know that it's there, what it entails. You don't have to necessarily sign up to these things straight away. We are lucky in this day and age that we have this technology where those options are available. Like this wasn't something that was, you know, really available, like, I don't know, for my mum's generation, for example. We're, we're very fortunate in, in that regard. Um, but I think that, yeah, I guess my, my message to them would be like, explore the options but don't put the pressure on yourself because again it's just a waste of energy and it's not going to do you um you know it's going to do more harm than good and I think just kind of focus on yourself now there's also I mean there's other ways like you can I don't want to say it so casually but you can adopt like there's a quote that I actually have in a in the book from this girl Jessica Menane who has endo and she's just put out a book and it's I can't remember it word for word but it's like you're a no you what is it like your family is like it's not your ability to have a child like that doesn't define whether or not you can have a family mm. that's um, so nice Steffi trying to find it I'm yeah. trying to like find it <laughs> I, I was like I was like I'll just quickly flick through for the quotes it's before the fertility chapter or whatever okay hang on that's the funny thing is, when you put out a book, you kind of put it down for a long time because you're yeah. like, I <laughs> need to step Here away. She yeah. said, you don't have to give birth to have a family. Yes. And how simple and beautiful yeah. and true is that? Mm. I think that is something we should all remember, you know. Um, and it is, yeah, this this societal, patriarchal uh expectation and conditioning for women that we are a failure if we don't physically give birth mm. ourselves mm. and that's just like honey it's 2021 like yeah. <laughs> that ain't it so I yeah. think I think that's probably a really important quote to kind of just sum it all up absolutely oh that's so beautiful I love that. that's such a beautiful quote I think I mean with fertility it's so hard because one thing that I struggle with the most with thinking about it is for people that can't have kids naturally and it you know might they might be trying for two years and it doesn't happen to then there's obviously lots of scientific things that sometimes work but they're so bloody expensive yeah and it sucks that something as you said Bridget as is like having a child is something that if you can't do your you are considered by society in some way as a failure which is so fucked like seriously I never thought you would say I don't know why I was going to say Laura that is the first time that's the first time she hasn't spelt out a swear word oh my god I had to sorry this is so honoured that I got to hear that (laughs) good on you yes Um, yeah it just it upsets me so much because it's so unfair that mm. only if you have money to, and even like with endo, it's like your surgery is so expensive and it's just, it sucks that 
you know, yes, there's things out there, but I hope that soon it's the government can work out a way to subsidise a lot of it because it yeah. is just so unfair that it is not yeah. accessible to everyone. And that's why that quote is so beautiful because it's exactly right. You yeah. can still have a family. It is the most important conversation, I think, regarding fertility and endometriosis. We, you know, I'm, I'm often asked about, like, what do you want to see happen, you know, moving forward? And, you know, usually, I think they expect you to say, like, more research, let's find a cure. Like, that would be great, but I think realistically it's not going to be something that happens anytime soon. So I think it's really important now, and it's the biggest takeaway that I've had through my uh, advocacy through my conversations, through my research, is that there is, uh, frankly, it's a huge class issue. Like it's yeah. classism when we talk about the ex- the accessibility as to, mm. you know, the level of care depends on what you can afford, where you live, um, and in terms of fertility, not everyone can afford to freeze their eggs. Like, mm. I mean, I think the the minimum cost is like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, ten like pay a rental fee for yep. your eggs you know like you're paying rent for these eggs to be stored annually um it's yeah there, there needs to be a lot more conversation like serious conversation on like a federal mm. political level um to make this accessible because it's it's so common and yeah we deserve better and we shouldn't be deprived of those opportunities i mean we shouldn't be deprived of um the 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 adequate treatment for endo but we should all have that access to these fertility options if we need them it's yeah it's it's i'm really glad like we've brought that up because i think that's a really important thing that people need to be aware of 100 percent, it's worth swearing for yeah oh my god i'm like so honored i got to hear that (laughs) (laughs) i I, I, like i felt like it was a a rare thing i don't know you seem really wholesome (laughs) you seem very pure literally in the intro she said (laughs) (laughs) s-h-i-t oh well bridget thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us we we appreciate it so very much and you will have helped so many people with this episode so thank you oh thank you i yeah no i've had a blast and i i hope it does help um at least one person so thanks so much for providing the platform providing the space um yeah it was so fun well we hope you guys enjoyed that chat we'll make sure to put all of bridget's info in our show notes if you'd like to hear more about keep a cleaner you can find us at www.keepacleaner.com we are on instagram at keep a cleaner at laura.henshaw and at steph claire smith and we will see you next week bye guys